Hello and welcome to the cat cooking on it. Had to see the reaction. Guys, welcome to the Castle Fitness Podcast. This is episode seven. Um, we're talking extreme versus uh, sustainable fat loss. Today I'm joined by Ryan Holmes. Ryan, how are we doing? Good, mate. How's yourself? All good, all good. Bit tired, as we spoke about. We always ask that. I don't know why I ask you how well. We've already had a chat, but anyway. <laughs> Hi, how are you doing? I've just been speaking to you for a good 10 minutes. Have you changed since 10 minutes ago? <laughs> just spoke for an a little bit. I will get there. <laughs> right, Ryan, so we'll get cracking with the questions and stuff like that, mate, if you're good to go. So Hi. just for the listeners, probably most of them will probably know who you are and stuff like that. Anyway, they probably already follow your account and stuff, but... Just to have a brief one for anybody that doesn't know, who's Ryan Holmes, what's your kind of story, what's your background and why you're in the industry? Um, so I'm a, a personal trainer from Glasgow. I work out of Commando Exfit. Um, I've been a PT in the industry for, well, I've been in the fitness industry for about over, over seven years, um, but I've been self-employed probably for about four and a half, five years now. Um, I kind of worked as a gym instructor for a while move through the ranks, working in like leisure management chains and all that kind of sort of stuff. Um, and then worked my way through to being a personal trainer. So I um, basically moved into the fitness industry through just being involved in sports. So the same sort of answer as a lot of people will give you is either usually they've went through their own transformation and had a PT or they've came through some sort of sporting background, isn't it? So for me, it was um, played football. Then I was involved in athletics at quite a decent level. Um, left school quite early, done an NQ in sport and fitness at 17. Um, and then I kind of farted about and shit jobs for a while. Went back and done a HNT in sports therapy. Uh, so I was working, kind of doing sports massage and all that kind of stuff before I was doing any sort of personal training. I was doing a wee bit of sports injury work for a couple of amateur and junior football teams. Um, thought it was all right. Didn't absolutely love it. Wasn't that passionate about it. And at that point, I went away and done my, my personal training certificate. Started working in a gym. Um, and that was it. But I kind of fell into the, the trap of employment and working my way through the ranks and thinking that I was doing really well because I was getting promoted within these roles, but it almost sidetracked me away from what I was really looking to do, which was help people. And I was really just writing rotas and, and doing classes and stuff like that, not what I get into the industry to do. So yes, I now kind of moved away from that. I got rid of all the kind of safety nets that I relied on for a long time, took a kind of leap of faith gained a bit of confidence in myself and decided that I was going to go all in with personal training and it's it's paid off. I've now been doing that for about four, as I say, about four and a half, five years, self-employed without any kind of safety net alongside me. And I've kind of, I would say, flourished and pushed forward because of that. Yeah, you've definitely done well, haven't you? I think that's already a kind of key takeaway for some of the listeners, even though we're not going to be talking too much about that, but you've took a risk and it's paid off. And I think people need to take the risk to, to let it pay off. People are too comfortable when it comes to any kind of goal and trying to achieve anything. I think everybody sits in that comfort blanket um, and doesn't take the risk. But until you take the risk, then it pays off. So, well done, mate. It's it's good to see you. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're one of the ones that I respect and look up to in the industry and stuff like that. And it's good to see your your progress continuing. Um, So, fair play to you for doing that. Appreciate that, mate. I appreciate that. I think, like, when guys like me and you started, like, social media wasn't a massive thing either. Like, yeah. You didn't, you didn't basically solely rely on having a good Instagram following to gain clients. Most people would have, I mean, there wasn't as many private gyms and stuff like that as well when I first got into the industry. A lot of it was chain gyms, council gyms, this sort of stuff. So you relied on footfall back then. So um, it, there wasn't as many opportunities to get into gyms as a personal trainer. So 
now that there's these all these kind of private gyms, it's easier to get your foot in the door. A lot of people use social media a lot more to build a business and stuff like that. So it's definitely it's definitely a better time to get into the industry now than I think when guys like myself and yourself get into it. It's definitely easier to build a business now. So you don't have, well, you st- it's still a risk. You're still self-employed. You still need to go out there and gain clients and stuff like that. But I would say you've got more avenues to do that now and it's a little bit easier to, to build a business. Yeah, definitely. You're more exposed into it. Whereas before it was like, it was almost just a word of mouth. Um, you had to do a de- decent job through getting a client result or even taking classes and stuff like that. I remember when I first started in the gym group and stuff like years ago, it was all about taking classes to try and get exposure because yeah. I didn't really do social media. So it was like, try to take 20 people and just basically say to them at the end, who wants PT? Aye. That was that was how you kind of started to grow it. So it is a lot easier now, I must admit. But um, yeah, I've just been with it for a long time. Like I didn't really, I hated it. I used to grudge doing posts. I, I just like, I didn't see the value in it and stuff like that as well because I, I didn't do it consistently enough. Um, <laughs> so I wasn't building up a, enough of a following. Um, so I didn't really see the value in it, but it wasn't until I decided, right, I'm going to give this a go. That it's, I mean, it's paid off massively. You'll see yourself, like guys who have big fall, like it's easy to sell a product and stuff like that. So if you want to launch something on the side and you've got a decent follower or you're getting decent engagement on Instagram, it makes things that a little bit easier so there definitely has a value in it but it took me quite some time to see that it was years in the industry before I decided right I'm going to start using social media yeah it's just taking that jump into it and just again being consistent with it as much as everything it's just shown up as you said like it's not until you actually start doing it consistently and seeing the value kind of starting to pay off same way kind of if you look at fat loss and stuff like that for the listeners until you see the value in it, staying consistent is all you're going to get. And then you start seeing the value in what's happening because you see the body changes and you see your fitness improvement. And then all of a sudden you stick to it and you kind of continue to progress. So um, no, that's a good one to start with. Already a takeaway for the listeners. So obviously, um, Ryan, today we're talking about kind of sustainable and extreme diets. So yep. two kind of comparing each other. You've done a great post on it um, the last couple of days. You've been kind of talking about it. Um, Yesterday, you done a, I think it was yesterday, an IG kind of TV kind of video of it. Um, and I think it went really, really well. So what's your kind of, almost like your thoughts, as I said to you at the start, you don't really know how to quit, like question this one, but what's your kind of thoughts on sustainable versus extreme fat loss? Like, have you the experience in it? Can I work with clients and stuff like that? What do you think, you know, both sides of the spectrum, what do you think the kind of good parts of it are, are or negative sides of things yeah. are? So what's your kind of thoughts and opinions? Generally speaking, I much prefer working with clients who come in with that long-term approach um, because they're going to be easier to work with. Um, you're going to have them for a while, so you've got time to get them to buy into what your your the methods that you use. Mm-hmm. Whether somebody comes up to you with a really short-term goal, you know it's going to be difficult. You know there's going to be a lot more barriers. You know you're going to have a lot more tougher conversations with that person as well. But at the same time, like I wouldn't turn somebody away because they told me, they want to achieve a certain result in a short time frame. I would just be very, very clear with them that this the way that you want to do this and what you want to achieve in that short frame, that short time frame, is going to be difficult. And you are going to experience discomfort. You aren't going to enjoy it a lot of the time. You're going to have to sacrifice a lot of things that you enjoy in your day-to-day life. You're going to have to kiss goodbye to a lot of these things. So I think it's just about being, being clear with somebody, first of all, because it's definitely... Like, I, I'm not one to advocate an aggressive route, but at the same time, 
I'm not one to knock it either. I'm not one to say like you, you just shouldn't do that and that's the end of it. If some somebody's goals are somebody's goals, and if somebody comes to me and says, I want to do this for this, this, and this, and that's the only way to get there for a, a holiday and I'd be fun four weeks, it's going to help them feel more confident on that holiday, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, and they've just waited to the last minute. You're still going to help them and do the absolute best you can by them, but it's just making them making sure that they've got complete a clear vision as to what they're going to experience during that time. So as I say, I would always opt for a kind of long-term approach. And I always say to my clients, even my clients that sign up for eight weeks, I say, look, I'll get you to where we can in eight weeks by using the methods that I would prefer to use. But it's probably going to take that a little bit longer to get you to where you really want to be. Mm. I think we have sustainable methods like or a long-term approach. That's what I kind of said in, in that post there as well. It's like a lot of people automatically think, right, I'm going to get this plan because I want to get this body that I want. But sticking to this plan for 12, 16 weeks seems like a, a really long time. And because they automatically hear these kind of buzzwords like diet. Um, and it's like, well, I'm going to be a diet in 12 to 16 weeks. That's like a quarter of a year, a third of a year. Mm-hmm. Um, last thing I want to be doing. But as I, as I said in that post, it's, it's more about when I think about building a sustainable method and putting a plan together for a client, I'm looking at what they currently do and adapting from there rather than building the framework from start to finish again, which you would have to do with an aggressive method. But when you're looking at somebody kind of long-term, you're looking at, right, what do you do on a day-to-day basis? What are the foods that you enjoy eat? What are the things that you're going to adhere to long-term? And then just tweaking it, just making sure that, right, okay, you can actually eat all these things. Right now, you're just eating them in large quantities and too much, and you're not going to be able to lose fat by doing that. So we're just going to have to bring everything down a little bit, continue as you are, but just in a more cont- calorie controlled manner and get clear structure in place so that we can continue losing fl- losing fat, but you're not going to absolutely hate it because we're not flipping your life upside down. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with that, uh, Ryan, because with a sustainable approach, you are more inclined to kind of work around the, the client's lifestyle and you, you only need to make a few adaptions here and there. Whereas when you go through an extreme kind of, you know, cutting phase or diet phase or whatever, you are basically as you said, starting everything from scratch, you're taking absolutely everything away from them and just basically going, here's your stepping stones to get there. Like, it's a completely different... It's basically going from a mag, like, the best way to kind of describe it is a sustainable approach is more about coaching. It's about trying to reason and work as a team to basically get to that end result. Whereas when it comes to extreme, say you've only got 46 weeks or even eight weeks or whatever, it's more about us telling you exactly what you need to do. So yeah. it's not really having that thing where, well, I can't really manage that. I need to do this. That's more of a sustainable approach because we can say, right, okay, that works into your lifestyle. Whereas if you say to me, you know, I've only got six weeks, I just need to basically tell you this is exactly what you need to do and be proper strict with it. So again, it, it kind of depends on what route you want to go down as well. Like I've experienced both sides as well. Um, yeah. And I would definitely say that sustainable is better because in extreme cases as well, Again, you have to basically strip back to everything. For me personally, the extreme kind of phases that I've, I've done before and diets and stuff and fat loss phases, it's been not easy, but it's been manageable for me because I don't drink. I don't really, we don't really eat takeaways. We drink, like, can I eat a lot of home-cooked foods and stuff like that? So I know how to manage that. Um, and I don't smoke or anything like that. I don't really go out drinking or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? At the weekend. So it is easier for me to do that. Whereas for somebody that maybe enjoys that, enjoys a drink at the weekend, enjoys a wee take or whatever, that all has to come out when you start thinking about a stream. If you've only got eight weeks or six weeks or whatever, you've not got that time to kind of spare. Whereas yeah. if you look at a 12 to 16 week phase, 
you have that wee bit of free time where you can maybe add a couple of wee meals in here and there that you can enjoy. As Ryan said, you can have the foods you're eating, basically just drawing it back a wee bit, you know, maybe not having as big a portion. Whereas when it comes to that extreme nature, it's basically all out, you know what I mean? All or nothing type stuff. Like you have to be so restrictive with yourself. Um, and I think it's extreme can work as well in the fact that if you need that kind of kick up the arse almost to really get you kind of fired on, then it can work. Or if you've got something like I've just kind of signed up a client who wants to be in the fire service and we've only got, we've gave ourselves enough time. Um, it's May, June that he has to go and do his fitness test. So we have gave ourselves enough time. But at the same time, we're going to have to be a bit more extreme in a, in a certain extent because we've got little time to actually get him to where he wants to be. Um, whereas if he said to me, I'm going to apply for it in November, then you're like, right, okay, well, we can take the foot off the gas a wee bit here and there. We can play about it, make it fit into your lifestyle. So definitely I think there's pros and cons to both. But um, That's yeah. difficult, isn't it? So you, I mean, you've got a client who wants to change his career path and he's moving into a career that he's probably going to maybe do until he retires. So that goal is a really strong goal, isn't it? So it takes a certain type of person to remain disciplined to something as restrictive and aggressive as that. So having a goal that, you know, is going to change your life and provide for your family, et cetera, et cetera, that's a strong enough why to be able to adhere to something as restrictive and aggressive as that. Um, and, and maybe, anyway, everybody's different, but you need to be, you need a certain type of person to be able to see something like that through because there's going to be a lot of hurdles to get over. Yeah, so definitely. if you come to me and say, I want to get in shape for 46 weeks to go to Ibiza with my pals, um, it, I mean, it could be a good enough why if you know, you've got confidence issues and stuff like that and you want to get in real good shape. If it's just strictly kind of brain fart goal, just a wee bit of a vanity or whatever, chances are a couple of weeks down the line when the going gets tough and you're craving and like your, your partner's not supporting you and they're eating all the things that you used to enjoy and stuff like that, chances are you're just going to take the kind of fuck it approach and go, you know what this isn't for me and that's the thing it's just finding it's making sure that your goals are strong enough first of all and it just takes a certain type of person as well from you know you maybe have a disciplined background people that are coming from like the armed forces and stuff like that they're, they're going to be easy clients to structure things like that and be aggressive with whereas mm -hmm. who's never experienced a lot of difficulties in life and not had to remain disciplined to a lot of things and stuff like that in their background you know, chances are they're not going to have the, the mental willpower to get through even 46 weeks because 46 weeks in an aggressive diet, as you know, Stephen, like it's that's a, it's a long time to yeah, cut out yeah. like enjoy. Yeah, you may look at it in, on a bit of paper and say, you know, 46 weeks or when I've done that eight weeks um, challenge and stuff, uh, you might look at it in a bit of paper and say, like, it's only eight weeks, it's not that long. I'm telling you, the now, see, when you're in that, that phase and that kind of journey, that is the longest eight weeks of your life. Um, you know, both the chat, like one of the boys that I used to kind of talk to on that challenge and stuff like that, we got into the fourth week and I said to him, I can't believe we've still got another four weeks to go, we're only halfway there. Yeah. You know, so you might think it and go, it's only eight weeks that'll fly in and I'll be like in the best shape of my life and I'll be able to manage and maintain it and keep it. You might not. You might actually absolutely struggle. Like, I'm, it's my job to basically, you know, be involved in fitness and stuff like that. And even I struggled with that. Um, and I, I did class myself as some, somebody that's kind of driven and stuff like that to, to kind of put in the work and just get my head down and go for it. I'm quite, um, you know, structured and I've got that kind of discipline behind me where, again, I don't smoke, I don't drink or anything like that. I don't really go have takeaways. I don't eat chocolate that much and stuff like that. I don't have the kind of the habits built in. And mm -hmm. if I'm struggling with it, you know, if, if you're just an everyday person, general population, you've got a job, you've got a family and stuff like that, you might actually really struggle with it, an extreme 
you know, fat loss phase. Yeah. It might sound good in paper, you know, somebody saying, you know, I can get in the best shape in your life in eight weeks, but will you be able to manage it? And on the other side of that as well, will you be able to maintain it at the end of it? And I, I think that's a big thing people need to look at as well. Um, are you going to be able to maintain it? Are you going to rebound? I'll be honest, I rebounded after my eight-week challenge. It was Christmas time, to be fair, so I think I was well within my right, and I think everybody was in the, within the right at Christmas time, yeah. but it is very, very difficult. If you if you go from coaching, being coached and told exactly what to do, that's the thing about the sustainable approach as well, guys. You, you start learning more along the way, I feel, as well, because, again, you're working with your coach as a team. It's not a case of a dictatorship, whereas an extreme kind of case, six to eight weeks or whatever, it's very extreme in the fact that you just basically do as you're told. Um, almost, I know that sounds terrible, but you kind of have the steps in place and you just go on it and you need to do it. That's the way I worked with my, my coach when I went through that eight weeks cut. It was basically, this is what you need to do. Don't ask me any other questions. This is it. And I just had to go on with it, put the head down and go on with it. There's no kind of almost leeway or learning involved in that, if that makes sense. So that when you come out of that eight weeks or whatever, where do you go from there? Yeah. Unless you unless you continue on that journey, where do you go? Yeah. If you're working with a client and you've you've got a 12-week goal, things are probably going to be tweaked and changed along the way. Like you might find that things plateau or you, you do something, you change something within their plan to get things kickstarted again. You're basically when you go aggressive, you're starting at basically where you would potentially finish at the end of about 12, 16 weeks. You're starting there and trying to maintain that throughout. So your energy levels are going to suffer massively. You're probably going to have to drag yourself through every training session. And that's the thing. People forget that you're you're going to be doing the same things to get to the result. The only difference really is is you've got less fuel for one because you mm -hmm. need to do it faster. But you're still having to hit your 10,000, 12,000 steps, whatever it may be. You're still having to put yourself through like the sort of level of intensity of sessions that you would have been putting yourself through if you were in a long-term approach as well. So you're still doing a lot of the same things. You're just going to have to feel shit while doing them. Um, and then you're not able to refuel efficiently throughout. Things like that as well. Like your, your energy levels are down and everything else is suffering. All these other things, it's a bit of a domino effect, as you'll know. Like you start, your body feels stressed. It's going to impact things like your sleep. It might impact things like your digestion. Um, so... It's just, for me, it's not the way to go. But again, you get people like Martin McDonald, for instance, who's MNU in nutrition. Like he's got his own, he's got his own academy of qualifying people to be nutritionists. And he's a big advocate of the aggressive <laughs> approach. He's somebody who takes the aggressive approach himself. It's like he's doing like a thousand calorie diets and stuff like that. And he's saying there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I just, it's down to the individual. And it's completely true. Like if this is somebody, this is somebody who's well-educated on it. Yep. I don't think he, he doesn't stick to just a thousand calories. He calls it like a multiphasic diet. So some days he'll do a thousand, some days he'll do 1500, 1800, whatever his body feels, just providing that he's always in a calorie deficit. But if he feels there's a day where cravings aren't bad and he's feeling okay, like he goes aggressive. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's the route a lot of people take. But a lot of people see these things on Instagram and stuff like that. It's certain client lost 15 pounds in four weeks and, it's not possible unless you're clinically obese, obviously, but for your kind of day-to-day -day lifestyle client that's looking for an online coach, if you're losing 10 pounds in three, four weeks, you're not losing 10 pounds of fat anyway. You're just, you're dehydrating the body because of your rapid cut of carbohydrates and everything else that's going on with that. And a lot of that is going to be water weight. You're probably losing three or four pounds of fat, if that. Yep. 
No, I'd agree with that. As, uh, again, I think it all comes down to that whole thing. It depends on it. Like when yeah. people ask you certain questions, it depends on the individual. Um, yeah. it's the same, like, especially when it comes to nutrition stuff, it all depends. You know, what, what can you do? If you're looking for maybe small changes here and there, then obviously sustainable is definitely the way to go. But again, if you've got, like my client, for example, if they've got something, you know, really meaningful, like even if you looked at it for a wedding, for example, when I, when I was getting married, I had like, eight weeks, I think it was eight to 10 weeks or something to get basically in the best shape of my life. So for me, I'm the kind of person that if somebody had said to me, you know, um, 16 weeks of dieting, that's my mind mentality where I go, oh, do I be dieting for 16 weeks? I'll go hell for a leather and it can be extreme because I know I can do it. I'll yeah. be extreme for maybe eight weeks, but I know how to cope with that on the other end. Whereas I think for a lot of people, starting these things and going in a, a six to eight weeks or even a four week kind of extreme kind of fat loss phase, try and look at the bigger picture and see how you're going to feel after that. Look at your kind of personality traits as well. Do you have the discipline to be able to achieve that? Otherwise you're just kind of pissing against the wind. Yeah. You know, look at your personality trait. I know that doesn't sound like it would be part of it at all because you're basically just losing, wanting to lose fat, but are you disciplined enough to go through that? If not, then it, there's no harm in it. There's no, you know, you might just be suited for a sustainable approach. And for me, anyway, that was one of the questions I was going to ask as well, is obviously about side effects of maybe extreme that you've maybe experienced or heard or working with clients. And for me, especially like you've already spoke about, in that eight-week challenge, like my energy was drained. I've spoken about it before. My energy was absolutely drained. I actually said to my client yesterday, um, one of the reasons he signed up with me was because of that eight-week challenge, the transformation. And I basically had to say to him, listen, you might think that was me at my healthiest point. I looked like kind of great and, you know, you might think I'm like strong and I can do whatever. I, I, I couldn't lift in. Like I was struggling, like no energy levels, low sex drive, struggling to go to the toilet, struggling with sleep, stressed because obviously I was hungry all the time. I was craving. Workouts were an absolute drag. Hated doing workouts. Um, yeah. I know obviously I was doing it at home, but at the same time, it was like it was 10 times worse because of the lack of energy as well. So, you need to look at that as well. If you've got a kind of a job as well, like I'm okay because this is my job, this is what I do. Like I have the time and I know how to manage it and stuff like that. But if you've maybe got like a nine to five job or a standard job and you've got kids to look after as well and stuff like that, is extreme dieting really going to be beneficial for you? Probably not because you're not going to have the the kind of energy to even function as a normal normal person and just go down about your day to day life. Yeah. You know, yeah, not a massive advocate of any any particular types of diet or something or that at all. But any time that I've decided right, I'm going on holiday. I was going on holiday with all my mates or whatever, and I wanted to get in shape in six to eight weeks, as you say. <clears throat> the things that I've done is, is the aggressive approach, and the way that I've normally done it is just reducing my carbohydrates, not keto or anything like that. But just I know for like like you, you're saying you've got a nice balanced life and you don't overindulge in things. I'm the opposite. I'm a grubber. So I like my crisps, I like my sweets, I like my takeaways, I like drinking alcohol, all these things. So I, I work better with restriction, with clear guidelines of, right, this is out. Like, so for me, like having things in moderation, I can do that. I'm disciplined enough to do that. But obviously, if you do these things, you're not going to get the result in a short a time frame. So if you're putting a wee bit of pressure on, you've got that short time frame to work towards. I work good with just saying, like, this, 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 and this is mm -hmm. out. So that's kind of the way I've done it in the past. But I felt like shit doing it the same as anybody else. You end up looking a bit gaunt in the face. If you're eating a lot less you know, of any of the foods that you're that you're used to eating, 
um, things like you're, you're getting eating a lot less chocolate, you're eating less carbohydrates, you get less exposure to vitamins and minerals and stuff like that as well. So your hormones are going to suffer, you're going to start to feel different. That's going to only natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your energy levels are going to plummet because your body's used to being a certain weight and it needs a certain amount of calories to function at the same rate that you've been functioning day to day in terms of the tasks you do, the daily activities that you do. So you're still asking your body to do all these things, but you're giving it less fuel. That that's like into your car, right? We're going to drive to work every day um, on this amount of petrol, but now I'm going to give you less petrol, and we're still expecting you to get the journey. Your car runs out of fuel, and you get stuck mm-hmm. in the motorway. It's the same. You feel shit. You hit a dead end. It's exactly. just like same. Yeah, I think again, and it just draws back to. I mean, you yourself have just said as well, like. You're not an advocate, and we're the same. Like we're not on here to tell you exactly what to do, guys. Like we're just kind of giving our advice and tips and stuff. Like as coaches and as going through these experience yourself, there's no right way of doing this. I think it all just again comes down to your personality. Can you manage an extreme diet, or can you not? Um, Ryan's obviously said, and I'm very similar to Ryan, where I like everything written down for me. I like just being told this is what you need to do. Um, I'm kind of all or nothing approach. As well, although I don't kind of drink and take, eat takeaways and stuff like that, um, I've kind of got that all or nothing approach where it's like, right, I'm either in or I'm out. So having the kind of steps just to follow, that's why it worked well for me because my coach Stan just basically told me, here's every step you need to do, tick them off daily. That's that's structure to me. I like structure in life, whereas some people might be like, you know, still want structure but have that wee bit of freedom, and wee bit of movement for play where they can still enjoy maybe a wee kind of family dinner with a you know family and takeaways and stuff like that weekend again if you're looking at that side of things and that's your kind of personality and you don't want to can completely take that away from you then the sustainable approach is probably better for you yeah. but again guys both will have the same effect as long as you stick with it and be consistent with it they'll both have the same effect that you want to get to yeah generally i find like every single one of the clients that i'm working with right now are using a flexible diet and sustainable approach yeah. to things because anytime somebody comes to me saying they want to achieve this goal and say it as a short time frame once I've had a conversation with them and explained to them what they can actually do by taking a sustainable method that may take a bit longer but not that much has to change generally they'll opt for that anyway it's just it's that shiny object syndrome it's people saying they can see they can get something quicker Mm. generally people are going to opt for that but then when they're educated around it and and they're told all the pros and cons so they can weigh up for themselves Generally, people are going to opt for the one that can see them through long term. And as you say, there's most people tend to rebound from, you know, if you've lived your life, if you're a 30 year old man and you've lived your life for 20 years, eating a certain way, living a certain lifestyle, and all of a sudden that's turned upside down, it's, it takes longer than, you know, four to six weeks to just click in your head that that's now your way of living. So you're mm-hmm. going to miss all the things that you've been doing for a long time because they're built and ingrained into you. So yeah. you're, you're basically, you are restricting yourself heavily, you're going to have to struggle and use willpower a lot of the time to get through on a day-to-day basis that when you get to that finish line, it's almost like, yes, let's celebrate. Let's have this, 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 and this. That's how bodybuilders do it, isn't it? They get off the stage and then they they go away and eat pizzas and all that. It's not a good relationship to have with food. Mm -hmm. It just creates that mentality of good and bad. So it just depends on your type of person as well. Like if somebody had said to me they had any previous eating disorders or you, you started to have a, a conversation with somebody and a few wee alarm bells were going off in your head that they don't have a great relationship with food, then I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't advocate it at all. But yeah. it would work for certain people. It works for you. It works for me. Um, and if you've got a short-term goal, 
and it means enough to you and you feel like I think that you're disciplined enough to be able to get through something you know you come up to me and say this is what I want I'm a coach I'm here to help you do it they're just as you say there's not as much value in it because there's not as many opportunities for learning along the way yeah yeah definitely like as, as Ryan said obviously you can achieve it both ways sustainable obviously you're going to learn a wee bit more and um, you've got that wee bit more time to learn about it and the thing about sustainable when the sustainable approach as well is it's always handy to know almost because if you maybe do you know stop working with a coach for example you've always got that to fall back on when you know right okay well I've maybe put on a couple of pounds or whatever I kind of put on some body fat percentage you know exactly how you can strip it back off whereas if you have something that's quite extreme you might do that once and go I'm never doing that again yeah. But then you don't know how to basically get back to some form of just looking better, feeling better and stuff like that. So there's two different sides to it, obviously, like, and both do do work. Again, as Ryan said, it just comes down to your kind of personality. What what can you take? But I just think people need to understand that if you are going to do a six to eight week, you know, transformation almost, you need to understand that you're going to take some kind of risk and you're going to have to take some sacrifices to get there. It's not going to be an easy route, whereas a sustainable approach Although it's not easy, it's an easier route to than the eight weeks, per se. Yeah. So good. So where would you say? So if somebody came to your eye and just said, like, you know, where to start, like obviously we've spoken about the extreme kind of nature of uh, extreme fat loss and stuff like that, and how it's kind of written in stone for you, that's what you need to do. But if somebody was wanting to just basically be kind of gradually sustainable fat loss, what kind of steps would you tell them to take? Um, well, it just it would be individual, I suppose. It depends on where their starting point is. So generally, I'll always have a consultation with somebody before I work with them. Um, they'll fill in my consultation form. I'll gather as much data and information about that person as possible. Um, but the main thing, as I said to you, I do is work out where they're at right now. So mm-hmm. what do you do on a day-to-day basis right now? What's your lifestyle? What's your routine? And as, as I said to you, like once your routine is basically an accumulation of loads of habits that you've built up over time. So yeah. the best thing to do is try and steady the ship the whole way along and just make minor changes. Because if you try and make too aggressive of changes to somebody who's lived their life a certain way for a long time, you're almost setting them up for failure for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So I suppose I just gather as much data as possible. Um, a lot of people come, certainly the type of clients that I work with, I'm not working, I'm not coaching coaches, I'm not coaching athletes or anything like that. Generally, I'm coaching kind of general lifestyle clients, people who have just decided they want to make a change and they want to make, they want to improve their lifestyle. So generally, a lot of them are coming in, you know, with very little education around fitness and nutrition. So the first thing I do is work out what they do know, start to teach them the basics and um, ask them what sort of things they're eating on a day-to-day basis. What do they, do they have any sort of indication of how many calories they're eating? And you'll know yourself, most people shoot way under what they actually, what yeah. they actually eat. You know, you fill in somebody's, somebody fills in a consultation form, you ask them how many calories they're eating and they say 1200, but they're, they're wanting fat loss and they're well overweight. So it's like, they just don't have an, an understanding of calories. Um, they just, they, they look at food volume probably more so than calories and I don't eat a lot and just mm-hmm. because you don't eat a lot doesn't mean you don't eat too many calories yeah no exactly. you're just probably eating all the wrong things so I suppose it's just about working out what their lifestyle is what their habits are what sort of things they're eating on a day-to-day basis and, and not trying to change things too aggressively so I always make sure that I'm starting with them 
obviously in a calorie deficit or work out a ballpark figure. And as you say, as you know, it's it's pretty much a guesstimate. You can use these calorie calculators, you can work out things yourself, but it's not the same for every single individual. So I always work out a number, make sure it's, you know, maybe 20% below what it should be in terms of maintenance and then give it two weeks to see how how things, how their body's responding, yep. make sure that they've got a, a step count that they're going to hit on a day-to-day basis and then put, give them a programme based on what their experience has been in training before. So right now, obviously, everybody's training from home. So some people might, that might suit a lot of people. Certainly some of the clients that, I've, that I'm working with at the moment have maybe not got a lot of experience in the gym. So I wouldn't necessarily take on loads like bags of people that don't have a lot of experience in the gym because I would say this is from an online coaching perspective I would say they're better suited to being in the gym with a personal trainer and learning the foundations in the gym as well so I think I think the best thing to do is not overwhelm somebody so I just work out where they're at just now and then just take that one step forward and then just assess that so just by touch points and check-ins on a weekly basis see how they're progressing at that kind of more soft approach and then just start to push things along at a rate that they're comfortable with. But as as you know, it's completely individualized. People are very different. People are going to respond to different methods. Some people want things that little bit faster. Some people want to see that change. Um, mm. Some people want the numbers, to, the numbers to reflect what the effort that they're putting in and stuff like that as well. So it's just about getting as much data and feedback from somebody as possible and then just trying to work out the most effective plan for that person, whether it's somebody who wants to see progress fast or somebody who just wants to get there, but know that they're moving in the right direction and it's not feeling like it's an absolute chore, it's difficult, it's, yeah. oh my God, I can't see myself doing this in 10 to 12 weeks. The best kind of message I can get after a week of setting somebody up on a plan is, oh my God, I wouldn't even know I was on a diet. Yeah. I'm actually really enjoying training. I'm really enjoying getting out in fresh air and getting a wee bit of me time and listening to a podcast, et cetera, et cetera. So the other most kind of fulfilling messages you can get that you know that you've just hit the nail on the head, you've given them the correct starting point that they're actually enjoying it and they can actually go, I can see myself doing this. The last thing you want to do is go, we're doing this to mm-hmm. somebody who's quite new to doing these sort of things and right away they're like, oh God, I don't know if I can do this. Do you know what I mean? You don't want any self-doubt going into them in week one or two of a plan. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. I think it's just about making it work into your lifestyle. Um, so even if you're not working with a coach, obviously Ryan just explained the, the kind of coaching process, what you should be looking for your coach to do for you. But I think if you're not working with a coach just now, you know, even just get a pen and paper and write down what you could manage right now. Um, you don't need to completely overhaul it. I worked with a guy before that, you know, um, he was a bus driver and kind of, uh, overweight and stuff like that and, and changing his kind of full routine would have been too much for him so we basically just started with you know have a healthier breakfast let's get you actually eating breakfast you don't eat breakfast so then you end up having a cu- couple of packets of crisps and chocolate when you're, you're at work or a cup of tea let's start getting eating breakfast and we just done it it was a kind of slow process but it worked well for him um, so even just kind of strip it back to the basics and just say right what do you need to do what have you seen maybe other people doing that, you know, you can kind of string ideas from, like, say, maybe going out, as Ryan said, going out a walk, just having some new time, clear your head, you know, and, and manage it into you. If you can only, people say to me all the time, is about how many times should I train per week? How many times can you train per week? You know, fit it into your lifestyle. Don't make it flip it the other way about where you say, oh, I have to train six days a week. If you say that and you can't manage it, you're just going to fall away from it. You're going to hate the process. Whereas if you say, right, okay, well, this week I can maybe do three or four. I've got a wee bit of time, like a, a timetable in and schedule it in. 
right away you're going to be able to, because you, you'll get to the end of the week and maybe you've done the three and you go, do you know what, that was great. Like, I'm happy with that. I've done really well in that three a week. And you might end up getting to a Saturday Sunday and go, well, what else am I going to do? I might as well just do another one. Then you're not, you're not setting yourself up for failure because you're not set this, like, a, a kind of target you can't reach. So I think it's I think that's the biggest takeaway is basically like fit it into your lifestyle. That's something that I've certainly learned with um obviously with Harper being here and stuff like that. My lifestyle's changed in a way where if I can only do three workouts a week, then that's fine. I just make it make sure it's the three best workouts I can do for that week. Yeah. Um so make it fit into your lifestyle so that it's not an overhaul change and that way you can you can kind of keep on track. Just individual as well. It's like it, you can see so as people see on Instagram and all that social media, you're more exposed to what everybody else is doing now as well. It's just about knowing your starting point. So, you know, that's that's the issue with doing things like group things and group training and like group weight loss programs and all these sort of things. It's it's like if you are further back and you're seeing what other people are doing, you're like, should I be there? Should I be doing that? And it's just about looking at where you are now and doing a little bit more, just making sure you're doing a little bit more because it's going to get you a little bit better than where you were the previous week. The person that you might be comparing yourself could be have been, you know, they could be 15 pounds lighter than you to start. They could have been training for three years longer in the gym, have more experience with these sort of things. They might already be doing 10,000 steps a day. It might be something that they've always done. It, you don't need to do 10,000 steps a day. That's just something that people say is a base. But, you know, if you don't walk a lot and you're an bus driver and you're, and I said that to Rob and you probably do like two to 3,000 steps a day, doing 5,000 steps a day is going to get you in the right direction. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just about making sure that there's no pressure there. It's individualised. It's making sure that you're making small improvements to your own lifestyle, not to somebody else's. Yeah, definitely. Can I agree more with that one? So we've covered that because one of the questions was how long does it take? And I think we've covered that because it obviously just depends on your kind of circumstances and stuff like that and how much you're willing to give and how much sacrifice you can give and stuff like that. So I think it all depends on that one. So we'll move on from there, uh, Ryan. So how's dad life treating you? <laughs> <Obviously laughs> new dad, so how's that? Uh, it's great, mate. Absolutely love it. It's, it's it's amazing. Like it's one of those things you'll know yourself. Because obviously, um, Abby one was born not long after you went through the, the same yeah. the same thing. It's it's mad. It's completely changes your life. I think in the, the lead up to it, it was like it was nerve wracking. Like especially being in like, the sort of industry we in, you're, you're self employed, so it's not like you're getting a lot of time to go right. I can take six weeks off work and really focus on the wee one. Obviously, right now, I'm not working in the gym. I'm working from home. So it's mm-hmm. it's almost suited me. But at the time, obviously, when Caroline was pregnant, we were back in the gyms and stuff like that. And it was, it was nerve-wracking to think, right, my whole life is going to have to change. I'm going to have to make a lot of adaptions to suit this wee person. And you're, you're really nervous about it. But then as soon as she's here, you're just like, scrap that. I'm, this is my number one priority here. Um, and everything else will fit round about that. But right now, obviously, I'm in that kind of fortunate position. Not in a fortunate position, obviously. I would much rather the gyms were open and we could all go back to training and stuff like that. But I won't get the time back. I wouldn't have got that time back. So the fact that we're at home right now, everything that I'm doing is on this laptop that I'm sitting talking to you on. Everything that I'm doing is is online. It's all mobile. So it's like I'm here. I'm seeing her pretty much every minute every day. And I'm really grateful for that opportunity. And it's it's been amazing. It's been great to just see the wee changes she's only she'll be five weeks old on Tuesday and it's just mad how quickly the wee things change but you probably wouldn't notice that as much if you were spending eight hours a day in a gym do you know what I mean that's it I think it's just as you said it's like we're, we're desperate for the gyms to open and stuff like that and get back to normality but at the same time just got to appreciate what we've got just now um as you said I would have never got this time with Harper either so um got to appreciate it 
So on that note, if you obviously there's going to be listeners on here that maybe are parents or you know maybe going to be parents and stuff. Have you had to adapt too much? Because you obviously said there that you're quite nervous at first about you know this is going to flip your world completely upside down. Um, do you feel as if you've had to adapt too much in any way? Not 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 yet. Certainly, um, just obviously me and Caroline communicating with each other and make sure we're, we're both chipping in and stuff like that. Man. My sleep's been affected, so obviously that's just one of the things that we we put a, a big emphasis on for your clients to make sure that you're you're getting a good quality of sleep and you're getting good quantity of sleep, and I'm getting neither. So it's, uh, it's a bit pot kettle just now, but at the same time, like it's just everybody goes through it. Every single person goes through it. It's just the walk of life, and you don't even mind doing it. It's one of those ones. If somebody had to wake me up at four in the morning before the wee one got here, they'd been like. Yeah, what you think you're doing, but now you're just like right up you get. Um, yeah, it's just routine. It's just it's just second nature type thing. I think that's the thing as well. Where I was the same as you, Ryan. Like I, I kind of thought my world would be kind of flipped upside down, but I think um, me and Natalie worried that we're quite structured in a way. But I think we were worried that the structure was going to completely go. But I mean, we're five months in now. And we've just kind of adapted slightly. You know, nothing's changed too much. We've just adapted slightly. Where maybe I'm not able to train six days a week, but again, as I refer back to. If I'm only training three days a week, I make sure it's the best three three workouts I can give that time. Yeah. I'm the same as you. I'm, I'm kind of sleep deprived a wee bit at times. I've just said obviously Harper gave us a wee bit of thing a rough night last night. Um, but it's just managing what you can uh, and working together. So for anybody listening that maybe thinks you know, um, being a parent and stuff like that can hold you back for what you're going to do and stuff like that, it, it won't. You know, you, you just kind of learn to adapt and basically change things. Where you know, if baby Harper goes down. Then that's a time that I can train if she's sleeping. I've got half. She, she sometimes she, she naps for half an hour. If I can only do a half an hour workout that time, then I can get the baby monitor on and just do a workout as she's sleeping. So yeah. it's just nothing will change too drastically. And I think that's what you've got to remember. So, um, so yeah, that was one of the things obviously as well, like how you're progressing, body and business, how you're keeping on top of these things. And I think you're quite structured in a way, Ryan. Like you kind of have everything nailed down. Um. And I think that's what I've done as well. We're kind of writing down what I'm, we have a task list almost. That's it, man. I write down everything I'm going to do in a day. I write a wee list and I just tick them off as I go. And I, I assign enough time to do each thing. I yeah. know right away I'm going to be up um, in the morning, feeding the baby, changing her nappy, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you just adapt the plan. Not everything is going to go. Like, so previously I would have worked to a time scale. Now I just, you know, my day might start at a, set, a different time each day, but I, I still assign enough time to each other. We're quite fortunate in a way that um, Hallie, she's she's quite good sleeping through the night. She When she's fed, she usually settles. There's, there's two of us. Me and Caroline are both self-employed. We both work in the fitness industry. She's, she's got a dance school as well. So, But we're both not really working right now. So it's been a good way to almost trial and error things yeah. and, and see what works for us so that by the time things do start to kick off again, we can see a routine almost yeah. a little bit busier. So we've we've had a kind of lucky start to the wee one's life, um, where we can see what works best for making sure that she's she's always entertained. She's always got somebody with her, but it's I <laughs> so right now Caroline's not doing very much, so I can disappear at the office and do work. I can go and do a training session. Again, like you, I'm not doing my 45 days a week split. I've condensed that. I'm just training full body sessions because. I don't have time to to take you know an hour and a half, yeah. an hour whatever to, to train five times per week. At night time when the wee ones down and Caroline's watching absolutely nonsense in the telly, I go out and go <laughs> a walk. 
So <laughs> it's just, it, you just don't do things maybe exactly as you previously did, but as you say, you adapt and that's your new norm. It's the same way with lockdown. Like you had you had your lifestyle, you went about your life on a day-to-day basis. And as soon as that hit and a lot of these things were no longer within your control, you just changed. I know it's difficult and it's been difficult for a lot of people, but I bet you don't struggle every day. I bet sometimes it's just, well, this is normal. Mm-hmm. And it's just, that's it. Except, obviously, with having a baby, it's not as if you are as restricted. It's not that things aren't allowed. You actually want to do it. You want to take these changes. They're not out of your hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that, yeah, it's a very good point, man. Um, obviously, you can still manage it. It's just kind of, I was kind of, when it, when it first happened, I was very to a T. Every hour had to be perfectly the way I had scheduled it. Um, and then when Harper obviously arrived, everything went up there. But I think it's just learning to understand that you can still manage to get these things in. You might just have to start, like you said. Um, you might need to start your day a wee bit later. Say, for example, if you used to start your day at six o'clock, you might need to start it at nine. But that's fine. You can still manage it in a way. You just have a wee bit more, you know, maybe a wee bit more condensed to your day rather than spread out and sporadic. So um, yeah. you can definitely still kind of progress and stuff. So that's a question I ask everybody, Ryan. Um, so... What do you know now that you wish you had at the start of your fitness journey, either through coaching or own kind of training and uh, personal experience? Right, well, when I trained, when I first started training, I was pretty much the same as everybody else. I just looked at what Arnold Schwarzenegger done as a wee 15-year-old guy and like just trained biceps for an hour and stuff like that. It <laughs> probably didn't progress me at the rate that I should have been when I was you know, most primed for those new beginnings. So yeah. I wish I'd have used that youth and that kind of new stimulus to training more effectively yeah. uh, and trained with more compound movements and not spent too much time trying to dumbbell curl 26 kilogram dumbbells that I had to swing up and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? So I, I wish that I knew there was more going about, about like, you know, training things two to three times per week. And I knew a wee bit more about training volume and, you know, what the kind of most effective amount of sets and reps per muscle group per week would be, because I was probably doing way over and above what I needed to do, because I was doing full sessions on biceps and stuff like that, do you know what I mean? So I think, I wish I had a wee bit more experience about training, because I'd probably be a lot bigger and and in better shape than I am now if I used that kind of, that new start, those new begins to more more effectiveness. I agree with that one, I used to be the same, bodybuilding.com was my saviour. (laughs) <laughs> when I started and I was just doing bicep curls all the time with my mates us. And uh, then I, I regret it big time because my legs need to catch up and like fucking Johnny Bravo sometimes. But <laughs> I, I literally only started probably training legs about five years ago. Um properly <laughs> I went through these spells of training them and stuff, but I always had an excuse in my head as to why I wasn't doing them. First of all, it was because I used to run and mm. want to do my legs in for sprinting whereas <laughs> I should really have been building them up I'd have probably been a much better sprinter exactly. <laughs> and two because I used to take about five or six spin classes per week <laughs> it's like I'm not training legs I can't go on that bike but hey I'm the same I've absolutely zero calves because I never used them <laughs> I, used to say, I used to have the classic I'm a football player I play football so that's my leg training done <laughs> you see up, no cool down, just straight on the park. Probably get no knees now because you've just been running about. On the <laughs> exactly, mate. So just to kind of wrap up, uh, Ryan. So what's your number one takeaway from all this? Like, what would you say your number one takeaway would be for the listeners from this? Yep. Um, Any part of it? Your eyes wide open. Do do your research before you before you look into doing something. Don't don't go into something blind. So 
Again, the, the, the main topic is sustainability versus aggressiveness. Sometimes the reason that you go aggressive is because it's it's a last-minute decision. So set your goal. Always make sure you've got a long-term goal so that you can develop a, a plan and set some, set some short-term kind of stepping stones along the way. So, yeah, it's fine to go into the aggressive thing if that's what works for you, but don't leave that as your only option by you know booking things at last minute and putting yourself under mass amounts of pressure. So, yeah, go into things with your eyes wide open. Make sure you do your research. Make sure you get yourself a good coach that's going to explain things to you and weigh things up and give you the pros and cons so that you can make an informed decision on these things. Brilliant, brilliant answer for that one. So just to kind of finish, Ryan, where can people find you? Where can they follow your journey if they don't already? Just on Instagram, mate. So it's just Ryan Holmes Coaching. I don't really use Facebook or anything like that. Um, quite enjoy posting on Instagram there. I used to absolutely hate it, but now I'm... I'm it's like anything we've spoke about it. If you do repetition, you get consistent with things. It just becomes part of your everyday life. So now I just, now I just do it. So give us a wee follow and have a wee look at some of my, my posts and try and get a wee bit of a balance between informative, a wee bit of banter and a wee bit of lifestyle in there. So yeah, I'd agree with that guys. If you haven't already, uh, you probably do, but follow Ryan. He gives very informative information, both in a kind of a funny way as well. Some of the banter is quite good. Um, and then obviously, some serious topics as well so it's a really good uh, chat that's how we kind of stemmed on this this whole kind of uh, podcast so get on board it guys i'll add the kind of wee link to it in the show notes at the bottom and um, so if you want to give ryan a wee follow you can give him a follow and we shall see you on the next episode cheers ryan thanks for coming on thanks very much mate thanks for having me cheers. So, hello and welcome to the castles fitness podcast i am your host stephen castles this is episode eight guys can't believe i'm on episode eight already and today we're going to be discussing using fat as fuel. It's a wee solo one for myself today, guys. I just want to give you as much information on this topic as possible. It's something that comes around about every kind of every year when it comes to talking about fat loss and weight loss journeys and stuff like that. And we're talking about using fat as fuel. So as again, it's a wee solo one, guys, that I've just kind of off the back of some of the things that I've seen recently in the, uh, the media uh, about using fat as fuel and stuff like that and ketosis and stuff. And I just want to clear some things up for you so that you're kind of a wee bit more educated in it and you can make the right decisions for you. Guys, this is going to be a completely unbiased podcast. It's going to be giving you basically the rundown of what exactly it is so that you get a wee bit of education. You might be already clued up on it, but this will just reconfirm what you already know. Or if you've never done it before, it will just give you a wee kind of breakdown of what you'd be looking for when you're trying to use fat as fuel. As I said, there's a lot of things out there just now, supplements and stuff like that, that you can use that people are promoting and then um, saying that it can put you into ketosis and stuff like that and using fat as fuel. So I just want to give you a, a kind of rundown of what we're talking about when that happens, the science kind of behind it, and uh, just so you're a bit more clued up on it rather than just kind of buying into a product and not really knowing what's happening or jumping into a diet that um, promises this and not really knowing anything about it. Again, guys, unbiased, I have tried the ketogenic diet before, which is normally linked with this kind of process. So I have tried it before. I'll give you my background on it. I'll give you any kind of client backgrounds on it as well. Um, just so, again, you've got a kind of a vast amount of knowledge on it and, uh, you know, some takeaways from it as well. So without further ado, let's go on with it and uh, let's talk about using fat as fuel. So what I mean by this, guys, what we mean by saying using fat as fuel, it's basically the process of reducing your carb intake significantly and replacing it with fats. Now, by doing this, because you're reducing your carbs so much and replacing it with fats, your body then gets put into a metabolic state called ketosis. 
again, guys, this is normally linked with the ketogenic diet, which you've probably heard of by now. It's been in the industry a long, long time. And uh, yeah, it's, it's one of the things that can really help you put in, uh, get you into ketosis. So not a lot of people know this, guys, but there is actually different types of, there's four different types we've got of the ketogenic diet. I think a lot of people just think it's just the one thing, but there's actually four different types of it that you can do. I'm going to discuss this just now. So the standard ketogenic diet, which is probably the one, if you've tried it, you've probably went for, or if you've heard about it, that you've probably heard about. So the standard ketogenic diet is basically if you take your calories for the day and your macronutrient split, so your protein, carbs, and fats, you basically manipulate them to lower your carb intake and eat more fats so that you come into ketosis. So that split would be basically low carb, as I said. So it's going to be roughly about 5 to 10% of your calorie intake for that day would come from carbs. 70 to 75% would come from fats. And 15 to 20% would come from protein. Now, that might seem a lot of fats and stuff like that, but that's basically what you're trying to manipulate so that your body goes into this, this basically metabolic state called ketosis. The other one we've got, which is the hardest one to probably say, it's cyclical ketogenic diet my god i said that right the first time there so the cyclical ketogenic diet basically involves it's more for it's more advanced uh, than the standard ketogenic diet guys if i'm honest with you and it involves higher carb refeeds so what i mean by that is you would probably do the standard ketogenic diet five days at the week and then on two days you would maybe eat higher carbs and that's just to basically fuel your body if you're maybe an athlete or something that does ketogenic diets to basically fuel for workouts and make sure you're getting that recovery in. The next one we've got is tar uh, targeted ketogenic diets. That basically allows more carbs to be added in around about your workout. So probably pre-workout, you would have some carbs. Again, guys, it's a very advanced form of ketogenic diet and um, doing it the wrong way could actually kick you out of ketosis. So you would have to be either working with someone or someone really experienced in the ketogenic diet. So again, that's just kind of, a targeted approach where you're giving yourself more a wee bit more energy when it comes to fueling your workouts and the last one we've got guys is a high protein ketogenic diet so that's similar to very very similar to the standard ketogenic diet but your macronutrient ratios switch slightly not a lot but just slightly in that approach you're going for 60 percent of your food comes from fats 35 percent comes from your protein so a wee bit higher than the standard and only five percent come from your carbs all right so that's the kind of different types, guys. I don't know if many people don't know that, that there's different types of ketogenic diets out there. Um, but again, you've probably heard of the standard one or you've probably tried the standard one. So for the rest of this kind of podcast, I'm going to discuss the standard one um, because the rest of them are kind of a wee bit more advanced, a wee bit more skill and knowledge involved in it and stuff like that. So we don't really need to know too much about that. We just need to know about the one you've probably tried or probably heard of and the one that I've tried personally. So first of all, guys, what is ketosis? What exactly is it? So as mentioned before, it is a metabolic state in which the body uses fat as fuel instead of carbs. So what that does is it basically occurs when carbs are significantly reduced and it limits the body's supply of glucose, which is also sugar, which is then, which sugar and glucose is basically the main energy source for the body cells. So Ketosis is basically taking that and saying, right, okay, we're not getting carbs anymore, so we're going to use fat as fuel. That's basically all it is, guys. You're just basically cutting out your carbs so that the body's main energy source switches from glucose, which is sugar, obviously, for the cells, 
and basically turns to fat cells for energy. Now, there's some key points to note here, guys. So, as I said, there's a lot of information out there um, just now, and more specifically, there's a supplements out there just now. I'm not mentioning any names or anything like that. You've probably heard them anyway, guys, and I'm not saying they're right or wrong, but in my professional opinion, when it comes to supplements, unless you're deficient in something, you shouldn't be taking supplements. You don't have to take supplements, and it's a waste of money. Now, another thing, I had a rep of one of these companies come to me and tell me to go in ketosis, uh, go in these kind of products to enter ketosis. Having the knowledge that I do with the kind of precision nutrition, the exercise nutrition course um, that I had done, exercise nutrition, no, it's science and exercise nutrition, sorry, troops. Having already had that knowledge in the back of me and trying the ketogenic diet before when I was in college and stuff, I, I kind of had a lot of information already, so I, I didn't fall into that trap. But this person was basically telling me that, you know, I could still enter ketosis as long as I took this product, but could still have like chips, pizza, you know, carbs and a high carb diet. Guys, as I've just explained there, the science behind the ketogenic diet and entering ketosis is basically reducing your carbs significantly so that your body turns to using fat cells as fuel rather than glucose and sugar. All right. So again, guys, I'll repeat that just so that you're fully aware of that and fully grasp that. If someone comes to you and tells you you can be in ketosis whilst eating every bit of carbs under the sun that you want to do it, in my opinion, and from the research that I've looked at and the science I've looked at and the nutrition course I've looked at, that is a downright lie. Okay, so ketosis only happens when your carbs are significantly reduced and you place that with fats so that you can use fats for energy instead of carbs, glucose, and sugar. Okay. The other point to note, guys, all right, so I'll let you, obviously, if you want to try the products, you can try the products and see how you feel. But again, guys, I'm just giving you the information I know and my personal experience with it all. So the other thing to note, guys, and a very, very important note on this topic as well, is using fats as fuel does not automatically equate to fat loss. All right. So again, just because you're using fat as fuel doesn't mean to say you can pig out and eat whatever you want and you're going to lose weight and you're going to lose fat. That's not the case, guys. The rules still apply. You still have to be, if you want to lose weight, you still have to be in a calorie deficit. If you want to gain weight, you still have to be in a calorie surplus. The rules don't change because you're in ketosis. So I just want to make that Perfectly clear, guys, just because you're using fat as fuel, don't take it to be as you've got a free-for-all because you're having sausages and bacon but no carbs. You still have to be mindful of what you're eating and you still have to be mindful of the portions that you're eating. All right, so that's one point I would like to make, guys, because I think a lot of people jump on ketogenic diets and stuff like that because they hear how magical and wonderful it is and how it can help them lose weight and stuff like that, but you still have to be pretty much bang on probably if not more than anything, more bang on um, with your macros and stuff like that and how much you eat and what kind of food you're eating. So just take note of that, guys, is it's not just as simple as going on a ketogenic diet and because you're using fat as fuel, you're going to lose all this weight. You still have to be either in a calorie deficit or a calorie surplus if you want to gain weight. So that's the first kind of thing that I'd put on. So the next part kind of leads into what I've just talked about there would be you have to be pretty much bang on when it comes to your macronutrients, all right? So the minute you go over slightly, so when I was doing it as well, guys, you have to be 
so bang on. If you imagine you, you you're on the standard ketogenic diet, seventy percent of your your diet comes from fats. How would you know that if you weren't tracking in some form of capacity? If you were just winging it and saying, "Oh yeah, because I." you know, sausages and bacon and stuff like that and had a, a keto coffee, which is a bulletproof coffee, they call it as well. Because I had that, I'm okay. You don't know that. You don't know how, how much carbs and fats and that are coming if you're not tracking. So it's still important to track. You still need to track your food in some aspect. Nothing changes with the rules in that aspect as well. So in my opinion, in my experience, you have to actually be even more bang on if you're doing like something like flexible diet and stuff like that, and you're just doing a normal diet and you're tracking your food and stuff like that, what I say to my clients is, as long as your calories kind of match what I'm looking for and your protein is as close to that target as possible, the rest can be made up. So if you have a day where you maybe, you know, you're craving carbs a wee bit more and you go higher in your calories, but you're low in your fat, then it's not really a problem. It's not really a big issue. But see, when it comes to, being in ketosis and following a ketogenic diet or any kind of structure that you want, you want to put yourself into ketosis, you have to be pretty much bang on with it. Otherwise, you can fall out of ketosis. So on that note as well, guys, you have to keep, obviously, you've probably heard that protein has to be quite high when you're kind of going through fat loss and stuff like that. When you're on a ketogenic diet, your protein has to be very moderate and you have to be bang on with that as well because protein can actually be converted into glucose if consumed in high amounts. So if you imagine you're following a ketogenic diet and you're only allowed, say, 20 to 25% of protein, and say, for example, you are tracking your food, you're trying to do all the right things, and you go 30% protein, you went a wee bit higher. Now, obviously, that's not going to be 100% accurate, but if you go a wee bit higher than what your daily intake's meant to be, right away for that day, you're out of ketosis. So you have to be bang on with it, all right? And I hope that kind of is coming across, guys, that you might be thinking a ketogenic diet is a magic, you know, bulletproof way of losing fat and it will be easier. It's not any easier than normal tracking or just portion control. So don't let the hype of media and stuff like that guys fall into that, make you fall into that trap of thinking, you know, this is a magical, wonderful thing that's going to help, you know, instantly change your whole look at outlook on fat loss and stuff like that because it is actually hard. You still need to put in a good bit of work. When I've done it, before I started the ketogenic diet, and the only reason I started the ketogenic diet was when I was in college, I wanted to try every single diet that was out there that I could find so that if a client ever came back to me and asked, how do you feel about this? I can basically tell them not only the information that I research, but I can also tell them how I felt and give them an actual in-person experience of this is how I done it. This is what went well. This is how I felt. This is how it didn't go well. And the kind of things that I learned along the way. So that's why I done it personally. And yeah, it was a lot of work. I'd done probably about a month to two months of research before even diving into the ketogenic diet. So don't just wake up one morning and think you can jump straight in it because it will take some time to adjust. It's obviously building a new habit as well. So um, something to consider, guys. I hope that kind of makes sense a wee bit. Another point, guys, that I'd like to make is when it comes to being in ketosis, and following a ketogenic diet or taking any supplements that you know promote ketosis and stuff like that. Unless you're doing blood tests, urine tests, or breath tests, you'll never actually know if you're actually in ketosis or not. You're just winging it. So one of the things that you have to do if you're trying to be in ketosis, you have to test to see you know either your blood or your urine or your breath, as I said, to make sure your body is in ketosis. If not, 
you're just pissing against the wind. You're not, you, you've never know if you're actually in ketosis or not. You just think you're, and you'll probably find that you might not be it, but you might still get results because you've reduced your calories by taking out your carbs. That's where the kind of the, the differences lie. You might not actually be in ketosis. You're telling people you're in ketosis, but you're actually not. You're just in a calorie deficit. So I hope that makes sense as well, guys. And if it doesn't, obviously drop me a message um, after you've listened to this podcast and stuff like that, and we can chat a wee bit more about it. But unless you are testing to see whether you're in ketosis or not, you're winging it. And it's as simple as that. And the simplest terms, that may seem harsh, but it is the God's honest truth. You have to be testing yourself regularly as well. So... What I mean by that is, again, if you came out, you know, you went 30% over your carbs, you know, you're meant to eat 5 to 10% carbs and you eat 20. Right away, you're out of ketosis that next day. So you have to try and get yourself back in ketosis. So again, that's where it becomes quite challenging, quite hard to manage, guys. So I hope that makes sense, guys. That's a kind of science background about it. I'm, not, I'm trying to make this, like, podcast quite sharp with information so that you can just take it, take note of it, and it's not like dragging on for like three hours and stuff like that about it, because there is a lot you can talk about when it comes to using fat as fuel, but I just want to get kind of basics across to you when it comes to the actual scientific facts behind it so that you can make the right decisions for you. I have nothing against anything, anyone that tries a ketogenic diet, guys. I'm not one of these ones that bash anybody for trying it. And if it works for you, then great. If you feel healthier, fitter and happier with trying it, then brilliant. Um, I will not discourage that at all. However, I just want to make sure you're educated enough to make the right decisions. And in my opinion, it was very, very hard to do. I've done it for three months, guys, so I'll talk about you a wee bit about my experiences with it. And so I've done it for three months to try it because I had read up on it and stuff like that and thought, you know, I want to lose a wee bit of weight. I was following a guy called Jason. I can't remember his second name, but it was Jason or something. He was on Instagram and he was very, very big with the ketogenic diet and he was basically promoting it constantly saying it was the best thing since sliced bread. Pardon the pun, because we're also talking about uh, ketogenic diets and we're talking about bread there. But yeah, it was basically just saying it was the best diet out there. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to give this a go and see how I got on. Now, one of the things I was doing was, you know, I was being very, very smart with it and stuff like that. But the temptations are really, really there for someone that really likes her carbs and loves carbs. I was with Natalie at the time as well. We had just started going out. And uh, obviously she's sitting making rice, pasta, bread, everything, and I wasn't allowed it. So right away, if you're very, very tempted towards carbs, then it's not the right diet for you. My experience with it, guys, I was doing the kind of keto coffee and stuff like that, and as much as it sounds disgusting, putting butter and coconut kind of oil in your coffee is actually lovely. I'm not even going to lie. It is unbelievable. And I'll be honest, I don't know if it was a placebo effect because I was told that this would happen, but I did feel in the morning, I did feel kind of energized when I first started it. I felt very, my mind was very clear. It was probably just because it was high in calories. I mean, as well, the ketogenic diet, the, you know, the keto coffees and stuff like that. What you've got to remember, guys, is your coffee then becomes, instead of, I was drinking black coffee, I normally drink black coffee. And instead of my calories of my coffee maybe being, I don't know, about 100 calories. I'm now looking at 500 odd calories because I'm putting, you know, a tablespoon of butter and a tablespoon of coconut oil in it. And uh, yeah, on that note as well, guys, if you haven't got a blender, don't try this because try to stir it with a fork. Just it sits at the top and it's the most disgusting thing you will ever see in your life. So yeah, I did enjoy that part of it. I enjoyed it 
the first probably month, if I'm honest with you. Um, if, if, you if somebody tells you you can lose fat and be on a diet eating nothing but cheese, bacon, sausages, you know, steaks, mince, chicken, you know, all the kind of good stuff, you know, you, you get to, the, the flavours are definitely there, you know, and nuts and stuff like that. I love all that. That, that is my kind of cup of tea. Don't get me wrong, I love my carbs as well, but, you know, adding cheese to every meal, just, God, game changer, you know, um, taste-wise. So it was good in that aspect where I was enjoying it as such because I was enjoying the foods I was eating. However, I did have that craving of carbs. Now, as I said, the first month, I would say I kind of enjoyed it because it was something different. I was kind of new to it. The only thing I didn't have and really enjoy was every meal I was having something like spinach just to get my veg in. And that was my only carb source at source at the time was just kind of green veg, which was quite bland and quite boring. But as I said, because you got to kind of cover it with cheese and stuff like that, and you were kind of okay. Now, I did find it challenging, guys. I'm not going to lie. Like the, the, the kind of hardest parts for me were tracking for a, for a start and making sure I was on point constantly. That was really, really difficult. For someone who kind of, when I try and diet down stuff, I, I try and be as flexible as I can so that I can make it work in my lifestyle instead of the diet having to, you know, overhaul everything. So that was quite difficult. The other thing that I found difficult after probably the first month, I felt very, very lethargic. You know, I just felt run down all the time. And um, there's a thing called the keto flu as well, guys. You may or may not have heard of it. And it's basically like, it says within the first two weeks, you'll feel like kind of groggy and no energy and maybe headaches and stuff like that. It's just because your body's now trying to transfer over to another source. It's not getting the source that it normally gets for energy. You might feel unwell. Just a similar, kind of similar symptoms to your cold or your flu. And that's why they call it the keto flu. But yeah, I, I didn't experience that after the first couple of weeks. I actually experienced that after the first month of doing it. And um, it became more and more apparent and it was getting harder and harder. The other thing that I didn't enjoy whatsoever, guys, is, and again, I don't know if it was just in my mind all the time, but eating all that fats, I actually felt as if I had fat, like almost as if you had took a jug of olive oil and you took shots of it and just kept drinking it through the day. I felt as if that was at the back of my throat day in day out just grease sitting in the back of my throat so yeah that really wasn't pleasant the results from it guys did i lose body fat yes however probably just as much as i would have if i just went my calorie deficit diet and that's the god's honest truth guys as i said i'm going to be completely unbiased here because i've tried it i want to give it a go and see how i felt the first month i absolutely loved it give me cheese every day for my diet and keto coffees well unbelievable in my opinion but in the longer term approach to things it became more and more harder because it just doesn't fit into my lifestyle it's not my kind of cup of tea it's not what I wanted to do I like my carbs I like my bread I like my pasta and rice so totally overhaul my diet and taking that out was a big big struggle so again guys it did help me lose body fat however I did feel kind of lethargic and had no energy and stuff like that Hormones-wise, I, I don't really notice too much of a difference, if I'm honest with you. Some people say it kind of, they feel a wee bit more sleep-deprived and stuff like that. Again, I don't know if I experienced anything like that. I can't vaguely remember, if I'm honest with you, but at the time as well, I was doing a lot of work and stuff like that. I was training constantly as well, so I was always shattered. Um, so I don't know if that was an effect of the diet or just my overall lifestyle. But it did work, you know, 
because again, it only worked because I was in a calorie deficit. I thought if I'm putting it bluntly, because I was eating at the time, I think I was eating about 2,300 calories roughly. And uh, again, that was putting me in a deficit anyway compared to my maintenance. So I was already in a deficit and then obviously take my carbs out was even more of a deficit. So yeah, it, it did work guys. But again, it would work the same way if I just done what I'm doing now and just, you know, portion control, flexible diet and watch what I'm eating, be more mindful of eating. So it can work. You definitely can use fat as fuel. There's no denying that. The science is there. But you have to look at it and say, would that fit in my lifestyle? Another challenge, guys, I found, obviously we can't do it now because I've been shut down and stuff, but another challenge I found very, very difficult was if Natalie and I were to go out for a meal somewhere, you still have to be in ketosis. So you're looking at the, the kind of menu and a lot of the things in menus will always contain carbs. So then you're actually having to ask the waiter to take the carbs out. All right? So you're asking, instead of having, you know, chips from my steak, can I have steak with butter on top and can I also have spinach with it instead of the potatoes or the chips or whatever so you're always having to think ahead guys and plan ahead and that's another tip for you if you are going to go on this kind of diet you have to be very very prepared for it because as well if you've had a long busy day the first thing you're probably going to grab is something quick and easy which normally is carbs so you'd have to have like quite a lot of nuts lying about and stuff like that so that's just my personal experiences with it. I know a couple of clients have kind of tried it as well. They've experienced the kind of same things where they've kind of struggled with maybe eating out at restaurants and stuff like that because it's a bit more difficult. It doesn't really fit into their lifestyle. But again, on the other hand, I know many, many people that have tried it and many people that actually enjoy it and um, it works for them. So again, guys, the, the clear message is here that the two points I would take away from this podcast, guys, is yes, it does work and it can be useful for you. It's another tool in your tool belt when it comes to losing fat. It does work as long as it works in your lifestyle and you're not making too much of a sacrifice. And two, the number two takeaway for me would have to be that using fat as fuel doesn't actually automatically equate to fat loss. So I hope that helps, guys. I hope that gives you a bit more insight into the kind of ketosis and using fat as fuel and the ketogenic diet and stuff like that so that you can make the right decisions when it comes to it. If you ever get asked about it, it gives you a bit more knowledge. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode, guys. I'm going to try and make some podcasts more about nutrition and kind of personal experiences and kind of science about nutrition and stuff, just so you're a wee bit more clear when it comes to achieving your goals. Because I think that there's a lot of information out there when it comes to nutrition. There's a lot of people that bash other nutrition protocols. There's a lot of people that, you know, I'm going to try and be unbiased as possible with it because I've tried many. And in my opinion, if a diet works for you, then go for it. And if it doesn't, then you have to change it. And also, I just don't like people getting conned um, when it comes to people trying to sell them stuff to make a quick buck. And kind of, especially when it comes to health, guys, it's a massive thing for me. I'm in this game for people's health and time, progress their health after I've been through it myself. So when I see somebody try to make a quick buck off someone, try to sell this new weird and wonderful product that promises the world, and it could actually be detrimental to their health or their lifestyle, then that kind of boils my blood a wee bit. So if I can provide as much information into a wee podcast for you and you can listen to it and share it with your family and friends and stuff like that so that more people simplify nutrition and keep to the basics rather than try to focus and chase all these weird and wonderful things, then I have done my job. So I hope that helps, guys. I hope to 
hear the feedback from it. If you've got any feedback whatsoever, guys, drop me a wee message. Or if you want to ask any further questions about it, again, I think I've covered quite a bit there about it. But if you want any more information about it, guys, drop me a message. Hope to see you in the next podcast as well. Again, I'm going to try and make the next one probably about nutrition as well, just to kind of cover the grounds on that. And I hope you all have a great day. Thank you very much for listening, guys. I appreciate it.